Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Thank you. Let's do it. Yes, let's do it. Collins, I'm so glad we matched today. That was fun. She's refusing to acknowledge that. That's all right. Um, My brother-in-law, Kip, did an incredible job last week of kicking off our series, Us Versus Them. It was amazing, probably one of my top five messages ever, um, which I've heard a lot of messages, so that's saying a lot. Um, Kip, I cannot top your minivan story, so I'm not even going to try, okay? There you are. Straight up hilarious, bro. I was, like, videotaping, and my laughing in the videotape is so obnoxious because of your story. So um, if you are newer to Church 214, Heidi referenced this a little bit, but welcome. We want to say that we're so glad that you're here, and I want to fill you in a little bit on why there's someone different up here this, this week. Maybe you've come a few times, and you're like, there's always someone different on the stage. What is going on? Like, can they not get their act together? Um, sometimes it feels that way. Um, but we're a little bit different at this church because we don't just have one or two people who are paid to shepherd the people of the church and who are paid to preach. Um, We're led by a leadership team, so there are 12 of us that lead this church, and then we have a teaching team that consists of people who have the call and the gifting of God on their life to communicate God's word. And that makes it interesting, we think, because you get different perspectives every week from different people who come up here and you give different insight. We can both read the same passage of scripture and you might see one thing from it and I might see another thing from it. And that isn't disunity. That's God giving individual insight to different people. Let me say this though, and I want to be very clear about this. We all agree on the foundational truths of God's word and we stick to like-minded theology. So you're never going to get a mixed bag of this person is preaching this theology and this person is preaching that theology. We're all on the same page when it comes to the most important things. And I tell you that this morning because it plays right into what I'm teaching on today as we continue this series called Us Verse Them. If you missed Kip's message, I said this already, but I'm going to say it again. Go back and listen to it. It is such relevant, practical information from God's truth about how we are to interact with people today who look different than us, who live differently than us, who vote differently than us, who believe differently than us. He reminded us that having conversations with and being in community with people, not just on Facebook, but face-to-face community, with people who live, think, and look differently than us, was modeled by Jesus, and we're supposed to do the very same thing. He said this, and I loved it. If you find yourself saying those people, there may be some heart issues that you need to deal with. So go back and listen to that if you missed it, because he talks about balancing truth and love with people who are different than us. But today, I want to talk to you about what happens when we find ourselves in disagreement or conflict with people who do look like us. By that, I mean, how should we interact with other Christians and other churches? 
you might be saying, well, that doesn't really seem like us versus them. But I think it might be one of the biggest issues that we as the church are facing today. So I want to talk about our church versus their church. I want to talk about disunity. You ready for that? (laughs) I don't really want to talk about it either, but I have to, so... I want to talk about what happens when we pit church against church and fellow follower of Jesus against fellow follower of Jesus. And if I'm being really honest with you, which I usually am, the times when I've been the most hurt, the times when I've felt the most hate, the times when I've been the most or felt the most misunderstood, And the times when I've been a part of things that have felt the most divisive, it's come from inside the church. And I hate even having to say that because I love the church. And I've given my life to serve the church of Jesus. But I also know that the church is made up of people. And people are hurt and wounded and broken and messy and we all screw up. So how do we handle it when there is a disagreement inside the church? How do we deal with it when someone leaves a church, our church, to go to another church? And how should we view other churches and people who attend other churches, specifically people and churches right here in our own community? The Bible is very clear on this. And the answer that the Bible gives is so simple. This simple concept is what we desire for this group of people. For all of us that call Church 214 their home, this is what we expect from you if you're a part of this family. You guys, this is kind of a family talk. You know those kind, right? Where you're like, come on, kids, we're going to have a family talk, right? If you're a parent, you've given that. And you're like, if you are a Taves, if you are a Smith, if you are a Headman, this is how we expect you to act, right? Okay, if you haven't given it, you've you've heard the conversation, right? And that's what we're saying. Not in a, like, demanding way, but this is what we are called to as a part of the Church 214 family. But more importantly, this is what I believe the Word of God says we are called to as followers of Jesus as part of the church. So last Friday, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, my husband Chris gave us two weeks' notice at his job. It's okay. He has another job. So we're good. We're smiling. It's a job that he has been at for almost 16 years. It's a job that he has poured his life into, blood, sweat, and since most of us know Chris, probably a few tears too. <laughs> it's a job that he has been so loyal in to the point where a year ago when everything got disrupted there, things were really messy and really hard, he chose to stay even though it was really hard. He looked at me this week and he said, man, the last year has been really hard. I've just put on a brave face. And I was like, yeah, I know, I could tell. 
But Chris, I want to honor you publicly for a moment because what you did, staying in a very difficult situation um, with a a good attitude, a happy heart, as we would say to our kids, was you lived with your hands open. And you said, God, I don't know what all of this is about. I don't know why this valley is happening in my life. But you lived with your hands open. And honestly, you were an example to all of us. What it looks like to walk through hard situations where you're getting treated terribly and demoted and misunderstood. And you said, God, I trust you. What happens when you live that way with your hands open and you say, God, I trust you, even though I don't understand, is God does reward your faithfulness to him. I promise you he does. So, babe, I am so proud of you. Well done, and go get your new job. That's awesome. But right after he resigned, he was traveling that week, and so he resigned over email. Um, Everyone started, his phone started blowing up. I mean, it was like he was on the phone for the next 15 hours, I think. Everyone was calling him saying, what's going on? Some were surprised. Some weren't surprised at all. What's happening? Are you okay? Did you take a new job? Asking all the questions. Everyone started calling him except his bosses. Not one word, not one text, no reply to his email, no phone calls, no conversations, just silence. Still, over a week later, there has been nothing from his bosses but silence. With one email, all of a sudden, he was dead to them, cut off. Within just a few hours, his access was completely revoked, his email was shut down, his phone number was obsolete. Have you had to change your phone number before? And it it is not fun. Like, everything's connected to your phone number. So he went from being an integral part of the company to you are dead to us. On Monday, he went in to clean out his office. This is his box of stuff. Rumor had it that on Friday when he resigned, people were trying to decide who was going to go in and take his helmet. They didn't know that this helmet was from the very first or one of the very first messages he preached for Church 214, they better not touch that helmet. He'd have come after them. So 16 years and a big box of stuff and so much loyalty. But the moment the leadership found out that he was leaving and taking a job with a competitor, forgot to mention that, they cut him off. Completely, 100% silent. But it's a business, so it's what we expect to happen, right? Is it good leadership? No. But does it surprise us? No. It happens all the time in companies. Someone leaves a job to go to another competitor, and all of a sudden, you're dead to them. Cut off, no access. Unfortunately, this is also what happens inside the church very often when someone leaves one church to go to another church. Or when there's a disagreement between people in the church. The difference, though, is that the church is not a business, and it should never act like one. The church is a body. But because the devil is here to steal and kill and destroy, and he thrives on disunity, it's his bread and butter, 
The church has fallen prey to his trap to convince us that we are in competition with other churches. So the church has become this sort of club. Those that are in your club are us, and those in the other clubs are them. And we see this us versus them inside the church. But this is in direct opposition to the purpose of the church. This isn't even close to what God desires for us being his church. Peter was writing to the churches in the New Testament. The churches had just started to take off. And the church was building momentum. And this is what he says to them. This is the goal. This is the goal. To live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness towards other believers. Let humility describe who you are as you dearly love one another. Now you need to know something about this writing that Peter was doing. He was writing this all to followers of Jesus inside the church, but he was not writing this to one church. He was actually writing this to five different regions that were spread out all over Asia Minor. So he was saying, hey, all of you all, as followers of Jesus, this is how you're supposed to act. He wasn't saying, you little group of people, you live in harmony, and you little group of people, you live in harmony. He was saying, all y'all live in harmony with one another. We see all through the New Testament during the early years of the church being built up that unity among followers of Jesus is a constant conversation that's happening. It gets repeated over and over and over again. Peter was talking about it, but the Apostle Paul, he talked about it all the time too. The Apostle Paul's ministry was mainly to Gentiles. So those are all people who are not Jews, not from the nation of Israel. And he's writing to the church in Corinth, and the the church in Corinth was mainly made up of people who were also not Jews. So I want you to think about this. Paul, he was a Jew. That's how he grew up, that's what he knew, that's his culture, that's where he came from, and he's writing to a group of people that are completely different from him, have a completely different culture than what he's gone through, but this is who he was called to. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what it's all about, the name of Jesus to agree to live in unity with one another and put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body living in perfect harmony. Form a consistent choreography among yourselves. How cool is that? Having a common perspective with shared values. My dear brothers and sisters, I have a serious concern I need to bring up with you. For I have been informed by those of you of Chloe's house church that you have been destructively arguing among yourselves. And I need to bring this up because each of you is claiming loyalty to different preachers. Some are saying, I am a disciple of Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I am a disciple of Peter the Rock. And some are saying, I only belong to Christ, I will follow no man. But let me ask you, is Christ divided up into groups? 
Did I die on the cross for you? At your baptism, did you pledge yourself to follow Paul? For the anointed one has sent me on a mission not to see how many I could baptize, but to proclaim the good news. And I declare this message stripped of all philosophical arguments that empty the cross of its true power. For I trust in the all-sufficient cross of Christ alone. So Peter and Paul, they're talking to all types of people, all types of cultures, all types of churches, and they're saying the same thing. Because it was Jesus' idea. It wasn't Paul's idea. It wasn't Peter's idea. This is what Jesus modeled for us, for the church, for people who followed him. And then Paul, he writes all these letters to the Romans, which they probably needed it. (laughs) These are a group of people that are completely different than him. In fact, they hated Jews. These would definitely be people that Paul could easily have said, those people. This is what he tells the Romans. Live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humble-minded. Don't be smug or even think for a moment that you know it all. Paul's like, don't think your way is better than someone else's way. And even if it is, don't be a smart aleck about it. So we clearly see that this is an issue among all of the churches in the New Testament, both Jews and Gentiles. But the greatest apostles of all time, they were not afraid to talk about it, and we shouldn't be either. It's time that we say we treat each other better. We change our perspective about that church, about that group of people. I've often wondered why we can be perfectly supportive of our friend who lives in another state who goes to a different church. Yet, we excommunicate and avoid the neighbor that lives down the street from us because they chose to go to a different church inside our own city. How is it any different? I'm not saying this is how it always goes. I'm not not saying that, but it definitely happens way more than it should. It is okay to have differences. We love anyway. It is okay to worship differently. We are kind anyway. It is okay to attend a church with a different name on the front door but we celebrate them anyway. God calls us all to different things, and I am learning this. I have not done this perfectly in my life. I may not fully understand the way that that group chooses to worship, or I may not fully agree with the theology that they're walking out, but it is not my business And I should not slander them because they are not in my church. It's what God has called them to.
I'm not talking about truth here. I'm not talking about things that the Bible is very clear about and just accepting everything that people feel. That, that's a completely different topic. I'm talking about like-minded churches that follow Jesus and follow the Bible. Even more than that, though, we are called to love them. We're called to talk to them, to be friends with them, to hang out with them, to go to dinner with them, to cheer them on, to ask about their church, to show up at their church when they have something cool going on. We are called to be in community with them. So don't assume that just because someone worships differently than what is comfortable or what you have chosen to worship like, or they attend a different church, don't assume that they are wrong or that they are not in the same club because this is not a club and it is not a business. It is the body of Christ. And it's the one thing that Jesus gave his life for. And it's who he's coming back for. Just this past week, a friend of mine and I had the chance to live out this very thing. Um, we attend two different churches, but we're partnered together in ministry for the greater good for Peoria, for the Church of Jesus. And we had some tension this week, guys. Let me tell you, it, was, it wasn't pretty for a minute. We had a fairly large issue come up that could have, and the devil intended, for it to end in strife and division. Thankfully, I had been camped out in this next passage that I'm about to read to you for a couple of months now, so I was clear on what the Bible said. <laughs> and he listened to the Holy Spirit, and the devil did not get the victory. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua 22. It'll be, part of it will be up on the screen as well. The nation of Israel had come out of Egypt from slavery, and they had spent all of these years together fighting in unity against their common enemies. They had a common enemy. They were under Joshua's leadership, and they had all come together. But all the fighting was done now, and so they were going to go back to their specific lands, and they were going to live in peace for a while. But you need to keep in mind that the Israel was divided up into 12 tribes, each one was representative of the 12 sons of Jacob. So each tribe was a family, a very large family. But each tribe was also given their own land to live in. It's kind of like our churches today. We're, we're kind of divided up into these little churches or these big churches and these families. But we're all a part of the church of Jesus. All right, Joshua 22. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. He told them, you have done as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you have obeyed every order I have given you. During all this time, you have not deserted the other tribes. You have been careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God right up to the present day, and now the Lord your God has given the other tribes rest as he promised them. So go back home to the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you as your possession on the east side of the Jordan River. But be very careful to obey all the commands and the instructions that Moses gave you. Love the Lord your God, walk in all his ways, obey his commands, hold firmly to him, and serve him with all of your heart and your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went home. So there were two and a half tribes 
that lived apart from the rest of the tribes, okay? Nine and a half of the tribes, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Quick math there. Nine and a half tribes lived on this side of the river, and two and a half tribes lived on this side of the river. They had come over to help all of the tribes fight for peace in the land. So they were unified in that. So the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the rest of Israel at Shiloh in the land of Canaan. They started the journey back to their own land of Gilead, the territory that belonged to them according to the Lord's command through Moses. But while they were still in Canaan, and when they came to a place called Geliloth near the Jordan River, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh stopped to build a large and imposing altar. Here's where it gets dicey. The rest of Israel heard that the people of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had built an altar at Geliloth at the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. So the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and prepared to go to war against them. First, however, they sent a delegation led by Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to talk with the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. In this delegation were ten leaders of Israel, one from each of the ten tribes. When they arrived in the land of Gilead, they said to the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, the whole community of the Lord demands to know why you are betraying the God of Israel. Assumptions much? How could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar for yourself in rebellion against him? If you rebel against the Lord today, he will be angry with all of us tomorrow. If you need the altar because the land you possess is defiled, then join us in the Lord's land because our church is better, because we have more of the Holy Spirit, because we have better worship, because our preacher is better, because we sit in the dark Join us where the tabernacle of the Lord is situated and share our land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar other than the one true altar of the Lord our God. Then the people of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered the heads of the clans of Israel. The Lord, the mighty one, is God. The Lord, the mighty one, is God. He knows the truth, and may Israel know it too. We have not built the altar in treacherous rebellion against the Lord. If we had done so, do not spare our lives this day. The truth is, we have built this altar because we fear that in the future your descendants will say to ours, what right do you have to worship the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has placed the Jordan River as a barrier between our people and you people of Reuben and Gad. You have no claim to the Lord. So your descendants may prevent our descendants from worshiping the Lord because a river divided them. So we decided to build the altar, not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial. It will remind our descendants and your descendants that we, too, have the right to worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and peace offerings. Then your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no claim to the Lord. When Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israel, heard this from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they were satisfied. 
Phineas, son of Eleazar, the priest, replied to them, Today we know the Lord is among us because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord as we thought slash assumed. Then Phineas, son of Eleazar, the priest, and the other leaders left the tribes of Reuben and Gad and Gilead and returned to the land of Canaan to tell the Israelites what had happened. And all the Israelites were satisfied and praised God and spoke no more of war against Reuben and Gad. Listen to this. this it, you can't make this stuff up. The people of Reuben and Gad named the altar witness, for they said, it is a witness between us and them that the Lord is our God too. You guys, we do have a common enemy and it is not each other and it is not other churches. Our common enemy is the devil and his plan is division and competition between Christians and churches. I wonder how often we hear something just like the Israelites heard it We hear something and we assume that we know what's going on and we assume we know what their intentions are. But instead of going to them and having a conversation with them to find out the truth, we talk about them behind their backs, we stop liking their Instagram posts, and we cut them off. Just like the people of Israel almost did, we prepare for war and we make someone who is actually a part of our body the enemy that we think we need to fight. Instead of fighting our common enemy, the devil, the darkness. And it happens all the time in church. Instead of, what if when we heard something, we're like, "Mm, that sounds a little off or that's a little worrisome. What if we sat down face to face and talked it out? Do you know how the, the situation that I was in this week got worked out? One guess. We talked. We didn't text, because that just made it messier. We talked. What if instead of assuming and thinking up ways to avoid that person, well, I'm not going to go to that store, because I know that's where they shop. What if we reached out to him and said, hey, can we, can we get a cup of coffee together so I can hear from your perspective? What if when we left churches for another, and it will happen, And it's okay. Sometimes things happen and you're called into a different community and body of believers. What if we left well? Instead of cowering, avoiding the conversation, not saying anything or slandering the people that we've just claimed to be family with. What if we have face-to-face conversation and the one leaving shares their heart and the one staying releases them without judgment? What if we no longer saw that church as them and our church as us and we saw all of the church as and? Us and them. This is the simple concept I mentioned at the beginning. This is when we change our perspective and we see the church as one with many tribes. Each tribe, each church may look a little bit different and one church may fit you and may not fit someone else. And we may not see eye to eye on everything, but the other churches are not the competitor. 
We see other churches as a part of the body of Jesus that he is coming back for, the one he died for. And we have conversations instead of assuming. And when we are called to leave one church for another, we leave well. We talk it out. We support and cheer each other on no matter where we worship on a Sunday morning. I love how Paul puts this in Colossians. He says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Here's where it gets really simple. Have conversations and love extravagantly. That's it. Have face-to-face conversations and love one another extravagantly. Let's be known as a people who love well and when who need be, leave well. And that changes the game. That means the enemy doesn't win. We take back ground. 